Hello, Claremont. Welcome to yet another episode of Claremont Speaks. I'm Russ Binder, your host as always. And for this episode, I have a, I'm going to say a hot tip for you all. This week's guest is a local master of front office to back office sales operations systems. He's really here to talk about supporting what are my favorite businesses here in Claremont, the small entrepreneur, the startups, the folks that are not the big box, which is really what Claremont has most of, isn't it? Wouldn't that be right? I think you nailed it right there, Russ. Yeah, absolutely. Perfect. Okay. So this week's guest is Matt Zertucci, right? A good Irish boy? <laughs> good. Not quite Irish. Zertucci is an interesting last name. I get that all the time, but a little bit of a mix. <laughs> what, that you're Irish? No, I was kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not. definitely not Irish. That was the joke. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I got it now. Sorry, catching up. No, I actually thought I was like the old Saturday Night Live character, Father Greedo Zartucci. Everybody that I've met here in Claremont have been great, by the way, because they see my last name. When I tell them my last name is Zartucci, they go, oh, Zartucci, you're just a great Italian boy. And I'm like, not quite Italian, but I'll take it because everybody sounds so endearing when they say my last name. Okay. Just for the record, where does it originate from? So my father is Latino and he's a first generation out of Mexico City. My mom's a lot different. She's... German, Swedish, English, but my dad comes from Mexico City. The name came from Spain through Mexico to Texas and California. Italian, not at all. Not even close. So Matt, we've met through the Chamber of Commerce. You run a business called Payments with a Z. Mm -hmm. Why don't you kick us off here? We'll jump right into it. First of all, tell us a little bit about the business. Sure. What does it do and what's your focus and who are you really trying to help? Absolutely. So I started Payments Merchant Processing in 2017, and the goal was to bring a service edge to merchant processing. Now, since then, my company has now changed a little bit. We are now Payments Processing and Payroll, where I help companies sell further, faster, and more affordably. And it's really geared towards helping those merchants, the people who need to sell things, develop sales operations that are going to take them farther, is going to help them make more sales, help them clear their back ends up, all kinds of stuff that are geared toward helping solopreneurs and people go through business with all the right tools. Now, let's define two things real quick so we the listeners can tell if you're talking right to them or not. What would be your sweet spot? What would be your target business profile, or your avatar, if you want to call it, that would be just right for your business? And what is it you're sure you can add to their operations that would make them prosper more, sell more, you know, do less? I looked at some of what you do. And to me, the first thing it does is take headaches off the table. That to me would be right up front, the thing I'd look at. But you tell us. The perfect size business for me is the business that is probably just out of infancy, that is starting to see some traction, but wants their business platform to work a little bit harder for them. Someone who is either in a retail or a service space that may be just crossing that $8,000 to $15,000 a month in sales, but knows that they need more and knows that they need to accomplish more. Maybe they want to take on more as a marketing platform. Maybe they want to integrate accounting services. They don't want to do all that kinds of stuff, but they still are small and they need a little bit of help doing it. When you say, what, like $8,000 plus a month in mm -hmm. sales, is it $8,000 a month of $2 sales each? Or is it two sales of like 4,000? What used to kill me in a small business was just the millions of small transactions. It's all the little in-betweens that I would find daunting. How do you fit into <laughs> okay, that? Okay, so I'm looking for somebody 
maybe not two sales at $4,000 because that's probably a little bit different industry. They're probably on a different side of the retail scheme. But if they're making, let's say, 150 to 200 sales a month, or if they're a service industry that is servicing 10 to 15 clients a month, 20 clients a month, and they're seeing growth, we are going to provide the tools that is going to help them propel to that next level. We're going to give the things to them that the big businesses, the big boxes do on a regular basis that will help them not only maintain that sales level, but propel them so that they can get more out of it. Okay. With that said, then let's focus on you and introduce you to the listeners. This wasn't what you always have done. Tell us like how you got here and what was the lightning bolt that hit you and said, you know what I need to do? I need to do this instead of what you were doing before. Absolutely. No, I did not start in payment processing. I didn't go to school for payment processing. I actually started off in the service industry. I worked for a very big, if not the biggest rental car agency for like a decade where I honed my chops in the service industry. After that, I went to grad school and became a gerontologist. The goal was to be an administrator for senior living homes. I had this target. The baby boom was coming where 10,000 people a day were turning 65 and then we were going to need help in the senior living industry. I became a gerontologist and became an administrator for one of the biggest senior living industries out there. But that is a heck of an industry. And I'll tell you, I actually tried to start a business from there that helps seniors and the families of seniors. It didn't really go a lot of places. And what kind of propelled me to merchant processing was that I had my first kid. I was going to be a stay-at-home dad or I needed something that was going to be flexible and that was going to keep me busy and so that I can not only raise my first child, but make some money as well. And it was a buddy of mine who said, hey, Matt, let's look into merchant processing. I heard that there's a thing there. And I'm like, what do I know about merchant processing? I don't know anything about that, bud, but I'll look into it and I'll get back to you. And sure enough, I spent about two to three weeks looking into it. Low cost startup, very flexible. You could do a lot of things. I went back to him and I said, hey, Dan, let's do it. This is going to be easy. We can start this up. And he's like, you know, Matt, I am going to go into a partnership in a gym. You're on your own. I'm like, you know, forget it. I'm going to do this by myself. Yeah. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, so let's all dive off the board and then you go first. And I'll, go, I'll just take the ladder Precisely. Back. So, I mean, what was the moment, always asking folks like you this, what was the moment you decided to cut bait and run and do it? What Was there like an epiphany? Or? Right. So the moment I was convinced that I could do it was when I reviewed a lot of other processors. And I looked at the processing industry in general from a service perspective. It had an atrocious history at just an absolute calamity of terrible service. In what regard? The things that were being practiced in processing over the last... I don't know, 25, 30 years. You get, you walk into your bank and you sign this contract with them for merchant processing. There's very little help for the merchant to actually grow their sales. They just make you sign a contract that is oftentimes not a great contract for the merchant. They had early cancellation fees and they provided very little support. I looked at that as an opportunity, especially with my service background to say, hey, why aren't we doing more for businesses? Why are we spending more time with them and helping them grow their sales? Because it behooves us. I mean, realistically, Russ, we get a commission off every sale that they make. So why are we helping them grow their sales? It was a no-brainer. It's in your best interest to have them prosper uncontrollably. Absolutely. So I am going to come into this industry from a service perspective. I am going to market as someone who does his own service, who spends a lot of time with merchants, who helps them develop sales platforms. That's what I'm going to do. 
And that's how payments got started. That's when I was convinced. And so then you took the leap. Now you say your delightful wife, she works and you have kids at home. That's right. Yeah, I absolutely. I got two wonderful kids and a wonderful wife. Sarah, she is an absolute monster in the workforce. In a good way. In a good way. That, in absolutely in a good way. Yeah. She works extremely hard and we have two great kids. And so we're juggling a lot, but we make it work and it's great. And just to be there for your kids is important as well. Absolutely. While I'm able to work on payments and spend a lot of time with merchants, I also coach soccer for my kids. My oldest is now doing ASO and all kinds of hurricanes and dance and all that kind of stuff. So I get to take her to do these things. And so it's nice. I have a flexible enough schedule where I get to spend some time with my kids. And the performer position in the service industry sounded to me like all day, nonstop work. If you want to call so it. So the service industry was definitely, that company was an all-day job. And in fact, all-weekend job. And let me tell you something. The, Especially. Yeah, the, the senior living industry was even worse because that was a 24-7 job. I managed, in that case, I managed staff, about 25 staff, that provided 24 hours of care to people that were living in our facilities. And the toughest part was really finding great help that were going to be reliable. And, I, and oftentimes it was difficult to do. So I, I had to fill shifts between like three in the morning and noon. It was crazy. So it would have been really difficult. At some difficult point, you simply do. just have to do it yeah, yourself. Absolutely. Very cool. All right. So now that we know you, let's move then into describing how your business can help folks in Claremont. Sure. This is really for the listener. And I'd like to have someone listening saying, okay, you know what? I need this. If you were to find someone struggling, what would that look like that would, you could put a smile on their face with the solution? Sure. By the way, I love Claremont. There is a wonderful bit of loyalty towards the merchants here. People love supporting Claremont. And I think there is a lot of support for the merchants that are here. They just need to dial into the right things. And I have found a few that are struggling, they just need to find the right tools to do it. For example, I've seen a retailer really concerned about Christmas and getting the kinds of volume of sales that they should during the holidays. Oftentimes it looks like they are too busy on the register and spend too much time in the store making sales or doing whatever and not focusing enough on what they should be doing with the sales and how to turn those sales into marketing assets. So for me, a lot in this particular case, one would be how do we convert sales data to marketing data and promotional assets that some of the small businesses, like the little retailers here in between Yale and Harvard, can use to announce sales, to announce new products, to talk about what they're doing. How do we make it easy for them to get that data to the right place so they can remarket to their clients. Tell us how you do it. Gladly. Probably a lot of people out there have heard of POS systems, point of sale systems. And some of them are providing those kind of tools so that when we take sales, we're often taking names, we're taking email addresses, we're taking phone numbers. So how do those email addresses and phone numbers get to your email chips or to your loyalty programs? So we provide the software that will seamlessly take the sales data and put it into those devices so that you can create email campaigns, loyalty programs, 
blogs and send it out and make sure that it gets to everybody who's ever bought a product from your store. And so you're talking about the integration of sales data. That's right. The old school way where somebody stands by the door with a register and rings up sales and cash and credit card and then that's it. My understanding is they're missing a lot. They're letting a lot of good information go right out the door. That's absolutely correct. So the evolution of that, and I remember you would stand there at the cash register and back then, back in the day, you had the little swiper. You'd put the credit card down on the machine and you'd swipe it back and forth. And then you hand the credit card back to the person, but then you wouldn't really collect the data other than the transaction receipt. Then eventually, when I started in uh-huh. retail, there wasn't even a swipe though back then. It was an imprint on That's paper right. with carbon paper. And what? you kept those carbon and, papers in a drawer for ages until it was maybe time to get rid of them. But and the trouble with that is, if you wanted to have a data security, a bunch of receipts flying around was the worst way to do. That's it. right. That's right. And now credit cards have evolved a lot because of security concerns and a lot because of how easy it is to take the sales data and convert it into something meaningful in marketing promotion. And that's where you come in. And that's where I come in. All right. It wasn't that long ago, maybe 15 years ago, where people were like, oh, I'm going to put together an email list and I'm going to write everybody's name down and put their emails on a list. And then I'm going to put them into my marketing platform and I'm going to email blast everybody once a month. So nowadays, what we could do, if that is something you're depending on the marketing device that you want, depending on the loyalty programs that you want, we can get you a POS system that is going to take the customer personal data and import it directly from that, the that's scraped off the credit card. Not, it doesn't come off the credit card. But yes, it. so a lot of times it would be input from the credit card. It's stored in the POS or whatever kind of sales device that you have. And then it goes into your marketing platform and we create the integrations to do that seamlessly or we provide that. And so now someone has all the information. What's the next step? So the next step is to make sure that they have the right messaging, but I would encourage them to writing campaigns that happen on a regular basis. The methodology these days is you need to have a relationship with your customer. The belief is you need to have create a meaningful, quick relationship with your customer when you come in your door, which means you don't sit on a pile of email addresses or phone numbers for a long time. You need to start talking to them. You need to start addressing them. You need to tell them what's meaningful to you. And hopefully that meaning is something that they're aligned with, right? But you can't do that without the data first. The messaging platform that you have is going to be something that you use often. The data for that is going to come from your sales platform so that every customer... And payments brings all that to the table. They don't have to third-party stitch all this together. No, they don't have to go buy lists. They don't have to go search for it. It is going to be the people that walk into their door that buy products from them. So it's extremely targeted. It's extremely targeted. It's people that have already bought things from you. You want to address them on a regular basis. But it's all bundled in one, is my point. In the past, I've looked at software, and then the first thing they do is they pitch you a bunch of add-ons and third-party stuff you can go into, and it never works. There's always some gap. It's always some communication thing. It's never just like drop, boom, done. And from what I understand from you is that you show up and it's all done. It's ready. It's done. So this is where I'm unique, Russ. I am. That's Yeah, all right. All right. Thank you for getting there. I am a merchant service broker. So I have risk partnerships with different banks. I have software partnerships with different companies. And let me tell you why that's important. It's a lot of risk providers. You may have heard some of the names before. First Data, 
or Global or Tesis. They have proprietary software that is unique to them. Depending on the merchant and how they want to reach their customer and how they want to market to their customer, I can provide them with a relationship that is going to be able to integrate the software that they need. So I can go to several different people for a merchant account that is then going to allow me to get a special targeted POS system, and that will allow me to put together the pieces for their marketing, accounting, whatever kind of platform they want to integrate. And this is for someone who has outgrown QuickBooks, would you say? A lot of people actually approach me to integrate to QuickBooks. So when you start getting decent sales, QuickBooks, especially for the service industry, is very popular. People want to populate their sales ledger on QuickBooks. And I provide software that will take sales data and put it right into their sales ledger in QuickBooks. So now you run this all on some database. Yeah. So it actually, there's a couple different, we call them payment gateways. These are the things that people can log into on their computer and take credit card sales. So depending on the unique payment gateway, if someone wants to integrate to QuickBooks, I'm going to go to a certain risk provider. And I'm going to ask for a certain gateway. And then I'm going to introduce this software that will take the data that is collected from that gateway and put it right into their QuickBooks account. And so then from that, then they can generate the marketing data. The the part I always found the hardest was not even so much the locations and where did people come from and all that, but it was the demographics. It's how old was this person? What gender was this person? Does it help target that? So it's more demographic and psychographic and iconographic. So let me first say this. You're going to collect the data anyway. It's going to be there when you take the sale. You can have them at that time opt into your marketing data or not. In a lot of cases, we entice people. We say, hey, if you sign up for my marketing emails, I give you 5% off. Or if you sign up for this, I'm going to give you a loyalty program where you earn 5% back on every purchase. They're not giving this for free. We're giving them back something in order to market to them. Actually, the the good folks over at Supercuts just dropped their point system where you get 10 haircuts and you get a free one or something like that. <laughs> they were just like, this is just too much tracking. And I thought of you with this. It's, you know what you guys need? A better system. I'm actually surprised a company like Supercuts, which I think are franchises, so it might be a little bit difficult. It- Around here, I think one or two people own most oh, of Oh, really? Them. But you're right that it's a franchise. I used to have a, the Supercuts card. They'd stamp it every time. And they just sent me an email and said, we're getting rid of this. We're just going to give you like five bucks to surrender your card on your next haircut. And they just gave up. And I just thought if you want loyalty, maybe they need a better program. Would that be somebody where you might come in and do That's some absolutely good? right. That'd be an exact place where I could do them some good. Now, Supercuts is a big outfit. They probably have some reason why they are not doing their loyalty program anymore. And they are probably looking at their competition. They're probably looking at a whole bunch of things. But I would definitely come in and be able to offer a loyalty program that is easy to track. Supercuts, they're probably looking at a whole lot of different features and why they don't need that anymore. These days, you put your phone number into a device. You go to Vons, you go to Ralph's, you put your phone number into them when you check out just so you can get the deals. That's an easy way to make sure the right people are getting their loyalty programs without lifting a finger. It's so simple these days. The data is almost perfect. For myself, I use a phone number that has long since discontinued. I was just too lazy to update the phone number. Hey, Russ, I got a secret. I still use my parents' phone number. Right. And so there's, but they at least have a, an ID on you. But I'll be in line and the person next to me, they're like, oh, do you have the loyalty card? And they're like, no, geez. Uh, 
And I'm like, wait a minute, here, use mine. And so I let them use my number and they get the discount. And it's mostly just to keep things moving. Right. But I always have this idea that somewhere back in the data mining tower, somebody's going, okay, now why is Russ buying pantyhose all of a sudden? <laughs> Costume? If all of a sudden you started making m- monthly purchases of pantyhose, they, you would start seeing emails show up in your email box about discounts on pantyhose that would come up. So like a Vons, that would be a company that might be out of your scope. And would you believe that Vons and Kroger, right? Kroger. One of the biggest there yeah, is. They actually do their own negotiations with with the biggest processors themselves. So they have their own processing rates and they would be a little bit out of my scope, even though I would love to take them on, but they have their own grocery rates, believe it or not, those guys. Right. Because they make a billion little yeah, sales. Precisely. Whereas a car dealership is the other end of the scale. A car dealership is actually at the other end of the scale. Car dealerships You'd be surprised. They have a little bit more of a difficult time obtaining a merchant account. Why would that be? We have those in Claremont. We do have them. They so Oftentimes, their sales volume or the transactional amounts are a little bit out of the range of a comfortable level for a processor to take. So sometimes those smaller dealerships will have to get what we call a high-risk account to get started. And then as they show successful sales, they may change that. But if you're... Average transaction size is, let's say, $1,500, $2,000. Processors start to look at it a little bit differently than they would a $20 to $50, $150 grocery bill. And they should. It's a fewer but bigger transaction. Let's see. So when new businesses are looking into a, a merchant service provider, there's obviously lots of choices. You're not the only one on the market. There's many. So if you're thinking about starting a business, one of the things is you want to make sure that you have the equipment that you're going for. We've seen those flashy Clover devices that sit on counters, correct? They're white and they were one of the first tablets to turn around and face the customer. This, I think it showed up in about 2012. You have to go to either Bank of America or First Data or Clover Direct to get those. So if that was something you want, you want to make sure that you are going to the right people in order to get them. The other thing I would encourage people to do is to get more than one bid. The problem that a lot of merchants face is they they have a checking account at Bank of America. And they think the only place they can get a merchant account is Bank of America. Bank of America is counting on you coming into their lobby and saying, hey, I need to process credit cards and wanting you to sign that contract right away because then there's no competition when the truth is there is a lot of competition you just need to go outside the bank to do it and if i was a new businessman who was looking for a merchant account i would probably get three to four offers from different providers before i sign a contract don't think that you're going into chase or the bank that you've been doing business with a long time and they're just going to give you the best deal because the truth is they're probably not. Probably not. As I've seen some of these things in the past, there's a certain cost to shopping. In other words, it takes time. You have to ask the right questions. But that is dwarfed by the switching costs later. If you don't pick the right one up front, the risk is that you find that out after a month and then switching to somebody else and moving the data and all that is a disaster. Do you perform like a rescue operation for people that have gotten into the wrong deal? Yes, I have. So there's a shameful practice, I think, the merchant industry is... They oftentimes will tag on early termination costs. So if you don't go through with the service for two years or three years or something, they can charge you three to 400 bucks, which is one thing that is awful because while the onboarding process can be a drag sometimes, 
there's no way that people should be charged for turning off the service because it really doesn't cost as much. I have oftentimes paid early termination fees in order to get a client. I have done rescue operations in order to get them the right equipment and the things that are going to push their business forward. The only way that people should be paying early termination fees is if somebody is giving you hardware or software for free, recovering the cost later. You know, if I if I was to give somebody a pretty robust POS system, I'll probably have an early termination fee. But most of the time those things only cost four hundred to fifteen hundred bucks and shouldn't break the bank. But the early termination fee for equipment is where they don't recover the equipment. Most of the times they're charging early termination fee and then charging a lease or then making them pay for the equipment, which is shameful to me. If you're paying for equipment and if you're paying a lease or you're paying for the equipment up front, why would we need to charge them an early termination fee? In fact, I think it would keep us honest if we didn't have the early termination fee and make us be better technicians and service people. It's kind of like paying cover charge to get in the bar and then another cover charge to right. get out. So besides that, what are some of the merchant service pitfalls where other folks just egregiously fail the clients and that you are able to capitalize on, okay, look, you've had a bad experience. Let's solve that. And what are like, yeah, I don't know, maybe the top three bad experiences that you are there, like the superhero from the payment processing Marvel comics. Sense, and I come right? flying in. Da -da -da. Yeah. yeah. You come in, your cape <laughs> is flying in the breeze and you say, okay, those problems are off. Bang, zoom, pow. So I've already talked about early termination fees and how I despise those. And I think putting them in contracts where people pay for the actual hardware anyway is a joke. The other thing I think is we're miseducating people on how the actual merchant process works. There's kind of a lending side. There's kind of a risk side that people are taking to it. And they need to understand that a little bit better. Now, there's a lot of rules when it comes to storing data. Visa itself has its own compliance thing that people have to go through. And when you do it, you get a chance to save money. But if I guarantee you, if you walk into Bank of America or Chase or any of those guys, they're not going to tell you about the compliance thing that you have to fill out. But if you do it successfully, you get to save money. But if you don't do it, they're going to start surcharging you, which is a joke. The other thing is that businesses change over time. Software changes over time. How we are not in constant contact with our merchants to make sure that they have the right sales equipment, the right sales data. If their business has all of a sudden gone mobile and you have mobile technicians, are we putting credit card processors in their hands so they can take credit cards at the point of sale? That kind of stuff is how we are failing our merchants. I want all my merchants to succeed. I want them to turn into million, billion dollar industries because that is going to behoove me. How we haven't paid closer attention to that is shameful. So I would say there's a lot of areas that we have failed our merchants in the past. The biggest being education and updating them as the software and the hardware and all that stuff changes. As far as staying in communication, that's an individual thing. I'm going to just guess that that's one of the things you do better than most. There's one thing I thrive at is making sure that my merchants know that I'm there, that I want to understand what their problems are. I oftentimes book lunch with merchants I haven't spoken to in six months to a year just because I want to catch up and see how their needs change. And for example, I have a gym owner, okay, a gym owner who started in infancy, was working out of another gym and leasing space from him. And just in the last year, he got his own gym. He got his own space in Pasadena. 
and he's got a really neat business, but all of a sudden he's got employees. He's got all kinds of changes. So we need to create all kinds of integrations for him, more of a POS system than just a, where he was one-off charging customers via computer. It changed the complexity of his business immensely when he got his own gym, has employees and has regular customers showing up all the time. It just, it makes a big difference. And they're on auto pay and things like that. So that's right. right. And that's so just not- for a gym, obviously subscription processes, the model. subscription model comes into play and helping them to understand how to do that. If you're a gym owner, you want to have nutritional stuff that's there. You want to sell Gatorades and you want to sell alkaline waters and you want to do all that kind of stuff. You got to have a little retail system right there too. So you could take those sales at the location. Right. So like an LA fitness or what is it now called? A sport dog or someplace like that would be then a sweet spot customer for you. Absolutely. I like gyms. I've worked a lot. Of them. And again, they are so big on inventory, just like supercuts. The number of sales they make are all service sales. They're all service sales. There's not a ton of inventory. Like I, I mentioned the nutritional food or the stuff, right. snacks that they could sell. The, the, the haircut place has shampoos yeah. and whatever. But a lot of it is the managing the customer perception and the customer feel when they come in. And that's important for right. gyms. Is it clean? Is do, Am I able to take charges easy? Am I able to sign up easy? Am I, is it reliable? That kind of stuff is important to gyms, and it's a great, a great client for me. And I wanted to ask this because in my own little businesses, it was always the headache of all headaches is sales tax. Charging it, keeping track of it, paying it at the appropriate time. After the last business, I promised myself no more anything whatsoever that has a sales tax. It's service or forget it. And just because I just hate it so much. Now, do you guys solve that? Believe it or not, a lot of the software that we provide people will allow you to differentiate between service and products. So taxable items and non-taxable items. Yeah. So you could offer both theoretically as a business and be 100% correct on how you charge out your customers. That's the key because at the end of the year, I'd go add up all this stuff and pull out all these papers. Just the trouble involved. I got to do all this work to pay money? Wait a minute. So if that's another headache you take off the table. Absolutely. And that's an easy one. As long as we've got the right system for you, everything is either customizable or programmed already into the system. We can tell what the tax rates are. We can tell what are taxable items so that you don't run into those issues anymore. A lot of them, by the way, update themselves. So it's great. And there are, let's say, merchant processing businesses besides yours. There's a couple. Sure. But I understand that you have one particular specialty is that you cater towards high risk types of businesses and high risk, not that we're talking about anything illegal, but they have a risk profile that maybe others don't take on. That is absolutely correct. Payments does love to take on client profiles, service profiles that may be classified as high risk by other risk providers. So you're really trying to serve a customer base that the others want. That's right. That's right. Tell us sure. about that. Many people may not know or be aware that some of the most popular banks, the Bank of America's, the Chase, even Square, Stripe, they will not allow you to sell certain products and they tend to be regulated. So, for example, alcohol, tobacco, CBD, those kinds of products, depending on where you sell them, have different regulations. And especially when it comes to selling alcohol or tobacco online, a lot of the bigger banks are very concerned about public image, do not want to be implicated in a situation where the wrong person gets the product. For example, let's say 
there's a business that wants to sell tobacco online and they're based out of California. There's a, if you want to sell that tobacco, that same tobacco that you have in California to a different state, there are a couple different procedures that you have to worry about. And the other thing they're concerned about is making sure that, that tobacco doesn't end up in the hands of somebody who is not legally allowed to possess it or buy it. So that hasn't paid all the duties and hasn't paid it. all the duties or may not be of age to have it. So there you go. Here we go. Bank of America does not want to be implicated or associated with a transaction that has tobacco ending up in a minor's hands. That is threat number one. It's an illegal transaction. Bank of America doesn't want to do it. Chase doesn't want Even to. Even potentially yeah, illegal. Potentially illegal. Because selling cigarettes by itself isn't illegal. It's just. Yes, it, that's correct. That's correct. It's a lot different when you have somebody walk into your store who wants to buy a pack of Marlboro Lights. You can check their ID right on him. But however, if, for those companies that want to sell online, there's a couple extra processes they have to go through in order to make sure that this doesn't end up in the wrong hands. And a lot of the risk providers just aren't willing. They don't want to take that on. It's just not worth it to them. So I help those merchants get the merchant accounts so that they could sell online or they could sell their product and, and have a reliable merchant account, something they can process credit cards through ongoing. And now would that include then like legal marijuana dispensaries? Yes. Yeah, so... Cannabis, it's a little bit of a unique situation. It is still federally illegal, so it will not be able to be processed on a visa, a normal visa MasterCard network. Okay, they won't allow that. However, we have the tools for cannabis retailers to what we call it front end banking. So we convert their front end to an ATM. And I don't want to go too much into it, but it basically allows them to take debit cards, process a cash transaction that, so they're not, for a couple of reasons, one that it's convenient to the clients and it allows them to avoid too much risk by storing a whole lot of cash in their facility. We basically use an ATM front end method that allows cannabis industries to process debit cards. And that's what it'll look like at the end of the billing period on your bill when you look at it your statement at the end of the month or what have you that says, oh, ATM transaction at two guys who sell pot incorporated or whatever. <laughs> yes, the, something the like is. that, precisely. But it is very valuable to them because it's great for the client to be able to not have to go get cash beforehand because that's inconvenient to somebody who's looking for cannabis at that moment. And the other thing is they don't have to worry about the hiring a security staff or they don't have to worry about their internal employees ripping them off. In a lot of cases, people feel like cash is king, but to a guy like me, cash is risk in a lot of ways. Well, you have to transport it. You have to carry it around. There was a story about a cannabis dispensary in Colorado. They used to have endless troubles trying to deposit their money and they're driving around in what looked like a beat to death Scooby-Doo van with a hundred grand in the back. And they're just thinking like, man, we're going to get old. That's right. That's absolutely right. It is a risk. It is a crazy risk that a lot of those guys had to take, but not anymore. Beside cannabis, what other businesses can be something, make them high risk? How can something be high risk? So let me define high risk. And it really comes from the processor's point of view. Okay, so a high-risk product is one that has a higher chance of implicating an illegal transaction or starting a chargeback procedure. So the risk that processors take is, one, the first thing is they pay tens of thousands of dollars to be on the Visa network. Okay, they pay a lot of money year in, year out to be on the Visa network. And 
However, part of that is that Visa makes them adhere to their rules and stipulations, especially when it comes to chargeback procedures. Now, Visa has built up a lot of trust in the community because of the consumer-friendly policies that they have. If you don't know what a chargeback is, a chargeback is a contention to a sale that you may see that's initiated on the bank side. So they don't call the merchant anymore. They call their bank and they say, hey, this charge wasn't mine or this charge was for a product I found faulty or this for a service that didn't work or whatever. And they initiate it with their own bank. And then what happens? And it doesn't have to be just fraud, right? It doesn't have it, to be it fraud. Can be just customer dissatisfaction. Customer dissatisfaction comes in many forms. Fraud's the big one, but it could be because they didn't like the product. They didn't like the service. They found it faulty. And what happens right there is the money leaves the merchant's account, the person who actually made the sale, and goes back to the client. Now, the merchant has the chance to rebuke that and try to get the money back, but they have to jump through a few hoops to do it. Excuse me for butting in, but it doesn't go into a limbo account or something until it's resolved? it, It actually goes, I guess you could say it goes into a limbo account, but the client, the consumer, actually gets those funds in their account on behalf of the bank. Now, if the merchant wins, if the merchant wins the rebuttal, they'll take the money back from the consumer or the client. They'll charge yeah, it and they'll again. Go ba- and it'll go back to the merchant. However, Visa developed that because they needed trust in their system and their network. And they know that people will use more credit cards if they're more if they're feeling more secure about it. So there are services and there are industries that just have a higher chargeback risk than others. And I can give you a great example because I have a couple of clients and I love these guys, but they're debt collection. I was talking about debt collection as a service in general. They are collecting on a debt that their client may or may not know much about. Their client may not have the money to pay it. It is just a mysterious, you owe me between 400 and 15 hundred bucks or whatever to absolve this debt, which is a service that it doesn't really seem to take a whole lot of shape or form. And it's very little satisfaction about paying for this service. So it is very common that it will be charged back more so than if someone walked into Ralph's and bought a Robitus. You know what I mean? And so because it's it's not even an actual product, like a physical thing, it makes it, it makes tough. it tough. And then nobody likes to pay a debt collector. Nobody likes to pay a debt collector. Nobody wants to come up with the thousand bucks or whatever to absolve a debt that they couldn't pay in the first place. And overall, it's just got this shrouded in mystery about what's really happening. So it's very easy for the client to charge back these things. And again, so debt collection too is very regulated. So it can be done incorrectly. And I'm sure you've heard stories about debt collectors who've been bad actors collecting debts in the way that they shouldn't be doing it. I think there's a popular case where where a debt collector left a really long, terrible message on the wrong person's answering machine. And this was a big debt collecting business. This was a really big one in California. And they ended up having to close shop all over the place. But because of the shrouded mystery of this service, because of the way that people perceive debt collection, it is oftentimes charged back. A lot of your Bank of America's, your Chase's, Square, and no, no one's going to write these merchant accounts, but I have the networks to do that. So when you're looking around, then another differentiator, of course, is how much is the cut, the best rate. Obviously, you want the best service. Obviously, you want the most protection. 
Obviously, you want somebody, if you were in a high-risk business like CBD or a debt collector, but you also want to get the best rate. How do you shop for that? So I can tell you as a processor, to get the best rates, you want, it's all about risk, okay? The more risk that I have to take on behalf of a merchant, I is probably going to be a little bit more of a rate. What we're looking for is solid sales volume. We are looking for no chargebacks. If you could provide a lot, if we know that we're going to get a lot of sales volume and there's not going to be a lot of chargebacks, you're going to get great rates. One of the reasons that I could beat Square and I could beat Stripe in rates is that I take less risk than they do. Now, it may not seem that way. It may not. Even by taking higher risk businesses. So even by taking higher risk businesses, I do underwriting up front just to that my business, we will do the underwriting up front. We will confirm the business. We will confirm the accounts. We will make sure that this is a real entity. We oftentimes look at processing history and their product lines. We check inventory. We do a lot of things to alleviate the risk that we have to take. And therefore, we can provide the best rates. As a counterexample, Square or Stripe, they don't do any underwriting. It's nice. It's a nice feature. And it's part of their marketing design to make sure that anybody can get an account. Anybody can sign up and they can have an account the next day as long as they sign up. However, they don't know what they're selling. They don't know what their average transaction amount is going to be, which is why their rates are just going to be higher than mine. And if people have the time to do some underwriting, which usually takes, it could take 24 hours, could take three days. For some high-risk companies, it could could take a week. But I am going to be able to provide lower rates all the time over those guys. Okay, very good. And not just by slightest point, what are we talking about a differentiator? Like a tenth of something like that? Here's another way we can avoid risk is by how we bill. All right, so... Oftentimes, I'm saving people about 30 to 50 basis points. But I get this question a lot, and I think this kind of helps answer that. Why don't I offer a flat rate program? The flat rate programs are the squares and the stripes, and they tell you what they're going to charge you up front. I don't offer a flat rate program because when I do that, I am taking more risk. And this goes unseen by a lot of people, but depending on the credit cards that are used, depending on how they use them, I am paying for part of that transaction back to the card manufacturer. So my markup, it will vary if I am doing a flat rate program. However, if I bill as a same markup on top of every transaction, there could be some variance depending on the card used, I am still guaranteed to get my commission. Whereas Square or Stripe, they really don't know. But that's why they're positioned a little bit higher because they know on average is going to be here. But if I'm guaranteed to get my share, then I have no problem bringing it down. One of the things that has been evident to everyone, does anybody write a check anymore? Yes. Almost never. Over right? 75 years old. I mean, e-commerce has, in, in what, 15 years, changed the landscape of the normal retail transaction. And so you put on your list that you were your great purchasing processing tools for solopreneurs, mm-hmm. right? And yet you're not really there for the grassroots, you know, day one startup because they're big enough yet. Where is that line? You know what I'm talking about? So I, I am there. I Let me tell you something. I love the grassroots and the startups because we could get them functioning quick. However, they oftentimes don't find value because my costs up front are a little bit more significant than 
if they were to go with a square or a stripe. And I'll explain in just a second. If someone finds value in operations, if someone finds value in seamlessly integrating accounting with marketing, with sales platforms, and wants that, and they want to do it right, then I'm the right guy. However, if they choose Square or Stripe right off the bat and want to get started that way just so that they can get sales, it's not a bad place to be right off the get-go. However, what I do tell people is when they get to be about 8,000, 10,000, 15,000, we're going to start to be able to show them great savings overall over the course of the year in their transactional rates, in their transactional sales. For example, I save generally about 500 to 800 bucks a year over Square or Stripe if someone's doing about $10,000 a month in sales. So those other services are a good way for the first person who's working out of their right. house or has a, you know, what I see a lot is food trucks, right. right? We had a discussion the other night and where the, with the food truck yeah. people that come over and yet those folks seemed like they were busy enough. They could actually use what you have. That's right. So we were having pizza the other day over at CCA or at Claremont Craft and those. Claremont yeah. Craft Hills. And yeah. so that pizza place, by the way, not only works there, what was it, on Wednesday night, but they're down at the other brewery in Pomona on Friday. So they're all, they're all over, over the and they're opening up they're a retail busy. shop, right? So this is the time for them to really start thinking about a cohesive sales operation to how are we going to tell our customers where we're going to be? How are we going to integrate sales into our accounting platforms? How are we going to build a relationship with our clients? And that that, that is a perfect time. Let me give you another example. I just signed another client recently. He does solar panel cleaning. And Henry out of Laverne started using Stripe. And he would knock on businesses' doors and he would knock on residential streets and say, hey, you want your windows clean? You want your solar panel clean? And he needed to take sales right away. But he didn't know where he was going to end up. He was in infancy. He was trying to create traction. He started to get it. And now all of a sudden, he wants to integrate with accounting. He wants to be able to send his clients information. He wants to be able to build a subscription service. So those are all things that are significant to Henry now. And part of the reason why he signed with payments recently, and but started with something like Stripe. He's hit the point where it's time, time to, convert. to convert, time to create the machine. So Matt, you have given us just a tsunami of good information. Tell us a couple of success stories. Everybody likes to hear home runs. With all that you've offered and all that you can do for people, tell us about a couple that, have, if you have it, that would just be examples of, wow, am I glad I talked yeah, to him? Gladly. So one of my favorite clients is actually America's oldest baseball card shop. Started in Arcadia, California in like 1992. It was a hobby of the owner for a long time. He built it. He worked it on weekends. He had the relationship with suppliers. He just loved the hobby so much, but he had a hard time keeping the lights on. And in fact, sometimes when I would visit him when I was a lot younger, because I grew up in Arcadia, the lights were turned on and I'd walk in there and he'd poke his head out. Oh, someone's here. And he'd turn the lights on. Hey, welcome, Matt. Thanks for coming in. I got a chance to service that business when I started payments. One of the first things I did is he was risk averse. And this was at the time where you need to have a website. All right. So Think of a company that is barely doing about $10,000 a month, has their own unit. It's not on the main street, but it's in a decent location. A lot of people know where it is and a lot of people are friendly to it, but they didn't have an e-commerce shop. So one of the first things I did was I got their merchant account. 
and I built them a website. Now, they ran with it a bit from there, and a lot of things turned in their favor. Once they had the website, we were able to put stuff online. They discovered a new sales avenue where they could address customers directly on YouTube. And they started to make sales. $10,000 turned into twenty, dollars and $20,000 eventually became $80,000 a month online in just baseball cards. And he would never, ever have done that much out of just a static Never location. would have done that much. Another part of that was once we introduced the website, we wanted to start bringing people to the website. Now, he had a very old-fashioned email list that he actually wrote names on. And kudos to him. He kept it kind of up to date. But you mean wrote he with wrote a with a pen. He wrote with a pen with their email. But now we got him a new robust POS system that integrates with his website, that captures sales data. So the list is growing and growing. And they are doing $80,000 a month in just online sales, $40,000 a month in-store sales, and it's changed the complexion. So now the oldest baseball card shop in America is no longer in that small, dark shop in Arcadia, has now moved into a premier location in Monrovia, California. He can basically draw a straight line between the profits he's making and sales he's making today and taking on your service as being the, let's say, the cause for that. Day. I don't want to pat myself on the back too hard, Russ. But well, yeah, that's <laughs> this is part of what we'll get to is called shameless self promotion. But, yes. but if it's really what you did for them, then it does it's not bragging if it's true. Not only did I lower their rates for merchant processing, there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that this magical transformation would not have happened without the e-commerce and my involvement in it for sure. Fair. Yeah, that's not even bragging if it's true. I, I think it's absolutely true, and I'm not bragging. And who else? So yeah, we've mentioned high risk businesses, and while they're are not a lot of banks that do it. There are some. Now, some of the problems are when someone's starting a business in a high-risk industry and they go to the merchant account, a lot of times they're looking at a 200 basis point markup. All of a sudden, their average transactional amount goes from 3% to almost 5 they, they They can get charged a lot. So another, I mentioned the debt collectors earlier. I think when I first met them, they were paying 275 basis points above cost. We can get their rates down with just a little bit of transaction history down to about 100 basis points over cost. So a th roughly a third of what they were. Yeah, we're cutting it down by at least a percent. So there's some great success stories in just getting people to have affordable transactions. Debt collectors are oftentimes great clients for me. People who sell CBD, they run into that. Although... I will tell you, there's new opportunities for CBD. If someone's at a high risk rate, they should come talk to me right away because I can get them a traditional rate. This is one of the things I wanted to have you talk about because Claremont just voted in having a approved tax for CBD transactions in cannabis and all that in Claremont. And they, right now they're talking about folks that come from elsewhere and the transaction occurs in Claremont. And they are, I don't know, they've approved the tax. I don't know when they'll enact it necessarily. But everybody has the idea that the next step is going to be a dispensary. And what I'm hoping here is that somebody listening is going to go, yeah, I'm waiting for that too. And, oh, maybe this is the guy I need to talk to. Definitely. If someone's looking at starting a dispensary, I would be a great resource for them. Obviously, I could point them in the right directions where it's sometimes difficult for those guys to just get bank accounts. I have the resources yeah. for them to make sure that they can run a business 
operationally, have all the tools at hand to make sure that they're doing things right and they can operate. Because it was not long ago where even though it was legal, it was really hard for those guys to operate. N- nobody wanted, nobody to wanted to touch them. Nobody wanted to touch them. And it had to do more with the Fed regulations than California, like Colorado was, I guess, the yeah. first. That's they still found out it's okay. It's legal in Colorado. Bahamas boys don't right. think so. So it's not God. But that's the kind of hurdle you can help. Absolutely, people absolutely. Clear. I work together quite a bit with some other resources in the cannabis industry. Whether it comes to commercial insurance, whether it comes to marketing and all that kinds of stuff for those guys, I am well adept at helping those dudes start functional businesses and making affordable sales. Correct, and that's the whole thing. Is you don't want to do all this work and then just pay it off in. Right. Fees. Absolutely, Russ. Usually about the end of the show, I have three big questions. First is, what would you like someone to take away as like the one major thing to remember having listened to this episode? What's the main takeaway? Sure. I think the main takeaway would be there is always a better way to do what you're doing that sales are just a step in the process to making your business work and that you don't have to go to where your checking account is to get an affordable merchant account. I think that would be what I'd want people to take away. Fair enough. And that's helpful to them. And that's what I'm really trying to do here is have this show be helpful to the people that are listening. Secondly, then what would you like to recommend as a call to action? What would you like them to do? Now, I would think you'd like them to give you a call and just see if, you know, if you, what you offer is right for them. But would there be more than that? So if I'll tell you this, I do have a call to action. If someone calls concerned about their rates, I guarantee that I will beat the rates that they have and I will give them a free terminal if they are a retail space that sits on their desk. I'll give them either a free a brick and yeah, mortar. If they're a brick and mortar, I'll give them a free sales terminal or I'll give them a free mobile processing terminal that takes a swipe chip or contactless. I, get, I provide those for free. So like the pizza truck that we looked at would that's get right. one of those. So that's your guarantee. That's the action and the, the, the transformation. Because that's what you're trying to do is here to transform people from doing it the hard way, the old way, the 70s way into the current way and not only make more money doing it. To me, I would... Even though I didn't make it a nickel more, if you just got rid of the headaches. Yes. Yes. So let's start making the machines work for you. Uh, We're going to work smarter. We're definitely not going to work harder. We're just going to work smarter. And we're going to make more sales as a result. That's what we're going to do. Okay. And then finally, we come to the part of the program I always call shameless self-promotion. So someone who has listened to this, listened to you, and has made it to this end of the program wants to talk to you. What's your number? What's your website? What's your email? Not a problem at all. Not afraid to shameless self-promote. You could always find me at mattzertucci at payments.net. That's my email. M-A-T-T-Z-E-R-T-U-C-H-E at P-A-Y-M-I-N-T-Z.net. And if you want to call me, please do. My phone number is 310-770-7478. You can find my website at payments.net. Find me probably hanging out at the Claremont Chamber of Commerce. If you ever want to chat me up, please come shake my hand. And we'll know you because you'll have the badge. I'll have. I'll definitely have the badge on. Absolutely. So, Matt, thank you for coming on. I think you have given the listeners a, an absolute goldmine of information. 
Is there any last thoughts, any parting shots, anything you'd like to leave us with? Thank you, Russ, for having me. I would say any parting shots is there's a lot of great businesses out there. And I think a lot of businesses that we see right now that we may be frustrated with are just a half step away from being great ones. I, I Being where I am, I get to see businesses succeed and I get to see businesses fail. So I am pervy to some unique knowledge and some unique insights. If anybody even if they don't want a merchant account, wants to talk to me about something they've seen in their industry, some trends that are happening, I'm a great resource for you. So don't be afraid to come shake my hand. That would be something I would leave with them. And the consultation is? Absolutely free to talk to me. Absolutely free. I may buy them a beer. They may get a beer on me. That's an attraction right there. Beer and finance, who can resist? Matt Zertucci, thank you very much for coming on Claremont Speaks. I think this is Worked out wonderfully, and I'm looking forward for you to getting lots of downloads, but lots of calls and people taking you up on your offer for consultation and seeing if this is the right thing for you. Thank you so much, Russ. Yeah, it's been a delight to be on here. I encourage people to reach out to me anytime. And so then thank you, Claremont, for listening. I hope you'll be here next time then when Claremont Speaks.